0: from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air.
1: A man could go out and have sex with several different women and come in and donate and that's not a deferral. If you have a monogamous relationship, that's the lowest risk of those three categories.
2: I've been able to openly serve in the military as gay since 2011, but we're still restricted from giving blood. Could you please let me know what the FDA was concerned about when it imposed this rule?
0: I'm Sarah Fenske. In 1983, the FDA put a lifetime ban on blood donations from men who have sex with men. And while that ban has since been relaxed a bit, gay men who want to donate blood still have to maintain three months of celibacy before they can give. Now, one organization that would like to see the rules change is Impact Life. The Iowa-based blood donation organization provides 40 percent of all blood transfused in St. Louis area hospitals. And joining us today with his thoughts on this matter is Pete Lux. He is the vice president for donor and patient services at Impact Life. Pete, welcome.
1: Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me on today. I really appreciate it.
0: So Pete, give us a little history lesson here. What originally inspired this ban on gay men giving blood? This goes back to 1983.
1: Sure, that's a great question. So originally, the um, regulation of the ban on gay men donating blood or men who have sex with men was uh, placed because of fear and the unknown. Like there wasn't enough information to determine exactly how HIV was originally spread, so uh, it was prevalent in gay men. So they were first, um, uh, the first you know, ones to be impacted. So that regulation was put into a place and there wasn't a lot of screening to be done other than asking people, there were no tests. So that was kind of an <clears throat> uh, almost arbitrary regulation that I think at that time made sense mm-hmm. because it was uh, the, the issue uh, HIV spread more prevalently through gay men and that was a problem. So I think in 1983 when that first became the rule, I think that was appropriate and but now here we are, you know, almost Many many decades several decades later, you know, it's time to evaluate that so one thing um, In 2015 that policy was updated to a 12-month deferral. Mm-hmm. So we went to um, and that started and we were um big advocates of that and making that change. And not just impact life, the industry as a whole has been behind this change for many years. Um, other blood centers, the American Association of Blood Banks, the um, uh, uh, we've all been behind trying to make this change and our own organization, America's Blood Centers, in driving uh, this change to the policy. We want to make sure that we get to do that. But even in 2015, when that change was made to one year, that did not really impact men who have sex with the same man as in a monogamous relationship.
0: Okay. So if I'm only with my partner, um, I still have to maintain that celibacy before I can give, even if my partner and I are completely committed to each other. That's something you feel like could, should change.
1: Yes. And then, of course, that rule changed again in 2020 to a three-month deferral. So and there's really uh, abstaining from sex and not having sex with another man are really kind of two different things. I want to make sure that's clear uh, because a man could go out and have sex with several different women and come in and donate. And that's not a deferral. We don't even ask that question. But a man who has sex with the same man that he's been with for, you know, one year, two years, five years, 10 years, cannot donate unless the two of them do not have sex for three months.
0: And so you're saying it, it would be much riskier for somebody to go out and, and have sexual intercourse with some random woman versus being in this, this monogamous relationship, and, and yet the rules don't reflect that at all.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that is a big risk for anyone, whether you have sex with a, uh, opposite sex or same sex, just a random person can be risky as well. So really what the criteria, uh, I think what we could do is measure that person's um, individual risk, like mm-hmm. evaluate how risky has their activity been, not what kind of, uh, are, not how they identify sexually, but what is the activity and how risky has it been. So we could continue to ask in the past three months, have you had sex with another man? And then maybe we find out, is it a monogamous relationship? Is it a casual, you know, sexual encounter? Do you have multiple sexual partners? And then evaluate which of those is risky. Of course, the two of the three are. But if you have a monogamous relationship, that's the lowest risk of those three categories. So I think that's one possibility that we could do to um, evaluate individual risk. Or uh, we could do that with everyone as well. So start asking everybody about what
0: risky sexual behavior they might have, whether or not that's same sex.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure what path will be taken, um, but evaluating an individual's risk is the path that we should take, but I don't know exactly how those will be done.
0: So as we're talking today to Pete Lux, the Vice President for Donor and Patient Services at Impact Life, we're curious to hear from you. Has the FDA's rules barred you from donating? Do you think these rules should change? Call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Pete, you talked about how these rules shifted in 2015 and then shifted again. Uh, Do you know if there was any new science that they were using to make these shifts, if they looked at some new research? and said, okay, this is why we think three months is okay. What, what drove that?
1: I'm not sure exactly uh, how they made that decision. That's from the FDA, but uh, there were um, evaluations of transmission of HIV within blood donations and determining that, um, that we didn't need a 12-month or an indefinite deferral. Also, the testing has improved so much since 1983. I mean, right now, the testing that we do Um, you could be exposed to HIV and test positive within days after that exposure. So that's really what can drive this change to um, having and bringing down that length of deferral and having it go from indefinite to 12 months to three months. And that's true of anyone who gets screened as a blood donor, not just gay men or men who have sex with men. So I wanna make sure that people understand that testing can help with driving that change. And then in 2020, I think that was at the pandemic and we were really having problems with um, collecting blood and having enough blood. So that wasn't the only change that was made by the FDA at that time. They reduced um, travel to a malaria area was one time, uh, one year deferral, and it went to three months. And there were a couple of others that went from one year to three months, all having to do with either testing or being able to show symptoms. That's, you know, much more quickly than one year.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems like the situation has truly evolved. Um, and as you say, the the prevalence of, of people being able to get tests, that makes such a difference. Let's go to the phone lines. Joan is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Joan, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you. Could you please let me know
2: what the FDA was concerned about when it imposed this rule? What medical concern there was? I assume it's AIDS, but you're not exactly explaining why this rule was actually instituted.
0: Uh, Jones, thank, thank you for that question. Pete, if you could just expand on on what sure. got this all started.
1: Right, so in the early 80s, when um, AIDS was really first starting to spread, there was no testing or no screening tests. So it was the HIV um, pandemic that or endemic that drove this change originally, that the FDA said, we don't know exactly what to do, and so they, made this huge ban a blanket ban on an entire group of people because we didn't have at that time in the early 80s we didn't have the testing and the equipment that we did now and then to change that um, we it took time of course and then better technology better testing and that and then it's really hard to say okay we have this high level ban of a blanket of just a big group of people and then what evidence do we have to show that reducing the um, uh, the deferral Mm -hmm. is would not bring about more risk to the blood recipient so we have to gather that data even though they made that change originally really without much data to change that original deferral we have to have data to do that and there is a study it's called advance that um, men who have sex with men can enroll in it's being performed by the red cross Vitalin and One Blood, and they're three very big blood collection organizations, and they're um, within they're collecting data from men within eight metro areas within the United States. St. Louis isn't one of them, but they are. That's I think really is what's going to drive the next step in this change. Is information from that study.
0: So that'll help get a lot more research to this area where (laughs) we could really use it. Joan, I want to thank you for that question. Yeah, thanks.
1: Great question.
0: Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Topher is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Topher, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. I understand this has affected you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I am active duty military stationed over at Scott, but I live in St. Louis, and my partner and I have been together since 2015. I've been able to openly serve in the military as gay since 2011. But we're still restricted from giving blood, and I feel like there's a disconnect between being trusted to protect my country and being trusted to provide a life-saving resource.
0: And, and Topher, is that a frustration? You would like to give blood? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, we
2: have a lot of opportunities to give blood here, and I believe it, it directly affects um, armed services members to be able to give, give that blood. But I'm not able to because the screening process, as far as I'm concerned, is the same.
0: Well, Topher, I I appreciate hearing about that experience and I thank you for your service. I just have one last question for you. What our guest Pete here is describing would be a much more invasive series of questions. Do you think you'd be comfortable answering those if you had to sit there and and talk to the blood donation specialist and and maybe get down into more of the nitty gritty if, if that would allow you to donate?
2: Absolutely. I feel that, that being able to give blood is, is a life-saving resource, and I would I would do an on-the-spot HIV check if it was necessary to uh, to be able to give that resource.
0: Wow. Well, thanks, Topher. That's great to hear that. And, and Pete, there's clearly, you know, there's interest here in people who want to give oh, yes. and are being told that they wouldn't. Do we have any sense of how much this could increase the blood supply
1: if we change some of these rules? I think that is really hard to measure because you kind of have opposite ends of the spectrum. And I appreciate Topher's enthusiasm about wanting to donate blood and that barrier to being able to do that. I, you know, I know lots of people, myself included, that can't donate blood and it's very frustrating. And if we, but we don't know exactly what number, what percentage of gay men would all of a sudden step up and say, oh, I'm going to donate now because this has angered a lot of people. And I've had this conversation over the past 30 years of being in the industry with multiple people, lots of friends and just trying to uh, explain like I am today with, you know, on your radio station, um, the rules, the history behind it, why it's taking so long to change it. And I can usually uh, that that explanation, I think, usually does help them to understand a little better why it is like it is. But Topher makes a great point. We trust him as a gay man, to serve our country, but not to come in and donate a unit of blood. And I completely agree. And, Pete, you mentioned this affects
0: you personally. Um, I know some people are angry about this. Do you find yourself sometimes getting angry? You're you're working in this industry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yes, I I don't know that I get angry about it because I know the, so much more about it than someone who doesn't work in the industry. And, I yeah. you know, I've been doing it a long time. But it really over the past, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 months, I've really been having this conversation uh, with several different people um, within the industry, without, outside of the industry, like today with you. And I've really taken, a I think, a stand and said, we need to change this more so than I did, you know, the first 25 years I was in the industry. yeah So I can- I'm, I'm excited to be on this uh, show with you today and to be able to express... The frustration, personally, that we feel because of this rule.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear um, you you share about that advocacy. In our final minute here, if somebody is hearing about this, um, I imagine most people don't have a direct hotline to the FDA. What would you recommend as as the most effective way they could weigh in on
1: this? They could uh, reach out to uh, their congressman or their representative. They can call us, and they could email me, and I can... Get, let me look into it and I can send that to you or they can. you can provide my email address.
0: Yeah. For people who are who are interested in doing that, it sounds like you're happy to get them more information. We can put you in touch with these people if, if they want to reach out. Sure. Okay. That'd well, be great. Well, well, Pete Lux, it has been great to talk to you about this and I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective and just about this history. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time.
0: This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air?